Our scripture reading today is from the Old and New Testaments, and it is available on the back of your worship guide. Please stand if you are able as we read from God's word. From Proverbs, haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, are sin. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. By insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. From Matthew, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And from Philippians, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Before we come to our study this morning on pride, let's pray. Father, we take our cue from Psalm 119. You are my hiding place and my shield, I hope, in your word. We know, Lord, that our hearts reach out to all kinds of things to protect us and defend us. We hide away from you. We have our own resources as a shield that we put around ourselves. And yet, like Adam, Lord, we need to learn that only your grace is sufficient for us. So, Father, we pray that you would speak to us this morning, you would speak into those situations and relationships, and to our own defenses, Lord, would you pull them down one way or another, that we might depend wholly on Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. Historically, as you may know, the church has described the sin of pride as the most ancient and insidious of evils. But as time has gone on, the world has become a little less sure that pride is a bad thing or that humility is a good thing. If you love historical biography as I do, there's probably no better example of the good parts and bad parts of human pride than Winston Churchill. I've chosen three quick anecdotes about Churchill uh, which illustrate the problem. There is Churchill that are defensively rude. <clears throat> As a young lieutenant in the uh, British Army, uh, Churchill grew a moustache, and at a uh, fancy dinner, he met 
and got into an argument with an aristocratic lady who, wanting to silence him, snapped at him, young man, I care for neither your politics nor your moustache. Madam, he replied, you are unlikely to come into contact with either. Or Churchill, the naturally overconfident, the photographer who has uh, called to photograph Winston for his 80th birthday, courteously remarked that he hoped he would get to photograph him on his 100th birthday as well. I don't see why not, young man, replied Churchill. You look reasonably fit to me. Or Churchill, the competitively vain. George Bernard Shaw, another big personality, sent Winston an invitation to the first night of his play, St. Joan. He enclosed two tickets with the invitation, one for yourself and one for a friend, if you have one. Expressing his regret at being unable to attend the first night's performance, Churchill replied, asking if it would be possible to have tickets for the second night, if there is one. Yet also, here was Churchill, who without any apparent arrogance was utterly convinced that he was selected by destiny to face Adolf Hitler, and that only he could do it. So he wrote this in his history of World War II, The Gathering Storm. He said, I felt as if I were walking with destiny, and that all my past life had been but a preparation for this hour and for this trial. What if he was right? Was that pride talking or something else? We're drawn, aren't we, to these larger-than-life figures of abundant self-confidence. At times of crisis, it seems that pride and not humility is the desirable human quality. And what about us ordinary mortals? We know that pride is wrong for us if it means we have an excessively high opinion of our own importance. That's the classic definition of pride. But there are times, aren't there, in answer to the question, are you proud of me, when we say to someone else, yes, I am proud of you. What do we mean? Well, I suggest that when we look at human pride in the Bible, what we discover is not something surprising about human beings, but actually something surprising about God. So three observations from Proverbs and from these other texts, as Rene has read them to us, really three things about God and ourselves and pride. So notice this first observation in these first group of uh, readings from Proverbs. The way I've organized these is in the order I'm going to deal with them in. Uh, there's a little gap between them which uh, follows the same observations. So first of all, we're ambivalent in, about pride in a way that God is not. The way uh, that Proverbs depicts pride is to show it in its true light. So here from Proverbs 21, haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked are sin, it says. What's the picture here in Proverbs 21 for? Haughty is a word that we don't use much nowadays. Originally, it meant someone who's high up in their own sense of self, looking down their nose at other people. And in this proverb, this is a picture of someone, notice, whose self-confidence kind of operates like a, a halogen headlamp in their darkness, shining the way ahead of them. It's their supreme confidence, which is kind of lighting the way for them. It reminds me of that poem, Invictus. Do you know it? Its first stanza is probably pretty well known in our society. It follows Proverbs 21.4 almost exactly. 
Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. William Henley wrote that poem as it was up, out of a crisis. Isn't pride then a very good and a very noble thing? We might ask, is the Bible as uncertain or ambiguous about pride as we are? And the answer is no, because really, like us, it describes two different things which we use the same English word pride for. After all, we know it's appropriate in all kinds of relationships to affirm other people's value. And you find that in the Bible too. So Paul, for example, in 2 Corinthians 7, tells the Corinthians, I have great pride in you. We call that pride, but it isn't the kind of pride that the Bible condemns. The pride that the Bible condemns is independent. It's superior. It's defensive. It's comparing. It takes in rather than gives out. It's an inner self-estimate. It's as if we are hiding in a castle and proud is our, pride is our castle walls. And the banner flying from the battlements says, Who are you? I don't need you. I have me. So human pride, according to the Bible, is not something that God is ambivalent about. You may have picked that up here. Notice the strength of God's response to it. He has a positively allergic reaction to it, doesn't he? He hates it. Proverbs 8.13. The very idea of it is abomination. That is the strongest word in Hebrew to describe someone's revulsion. It is an abomination to him. Proverbs 16.5. Someone has noticed here that the Hebrew word for pride is actually the word for majesty, a word that in other circumstances would be ascribed to God. And that's the portrait of pride. The person who in their pride takes God's majesty from him and claims it for themselves. So why then does God have such a strong reaction to pride? It is because pride, it's not because he threatens him or his majesty, but rather because it threatens us. Like every other strong warning that you'll find in the Bible for the God who loves you, pride is not dangerous because of what it does to him. Pride is dangerous because of what it might do to you. That's the warning. So Proverbs 16:5. everyone who is arrogant in heart, be assured he will not go unpunished. That pride brings with it consequences, outcomes. Imagine the mother who comes across the toddler who's gotten into the medicine cabinet and perhaps is about to swallow prescription pills like so much candy. That's what pride is like. It's poison to human beings. Although it appeals to us, it feels like majesty, but it's actually sweet and corrosive poison. So if God's reaction here is extreme, it's because the danger is very real to us and we don't see it. Rather, we run to it again and again as a defense. But it comes at a significant cost to us because the warning here is that if you remain behind your castle walls and you never surrender to God, a danger may come for you forever. And even in the short term, those who cling to pride will find that it leads to a fall for them. And that's been the experience for many of us because we cling to our pride. 
God, however, is not ambivalent about the dangers of pride, and he doesn't want us to be. Second, we're hesitant when we should be embracing humility. We resist it. But God tells us that it is the only way upwards. Despite the way it seems, when large and rebellious personalities seem to be dominating the headlines and getting everything they want, Proverbs reminds us that there are laws which govern not only the physical laws of the universe, but also the, the moral processes. And those laws, believe what you might, have not been rescinded in the modern era or in any other one. What you find is that God is patient. And those laws, believe what you might, tell us that the higher you attempt to climb on your own, the lower you will be brought down one day. And the lower you go for the sake of the glory of God, because of the grace of God, the higher you will be raised one day. So look at this Proverbs, chapter 29, verse 23. It's pointing to a kind of automatic process. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Reminds me of that scene in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, when Indiana Jones has been told by his father the way to find the Holy Grail is to pass through three tests. This is 30 years on, so I'm not worried about spoiling it for you. And he repeats to himself as he's making this walk down the path towards the Grail, only the penitent man will pass, only the penitent man will pass. And he walks gingerly ahead because he's seen what's happened to the two guys in front of him. And then suddenly it strikes him, the penitent man is humble before God and immediately he sinks to his knees and these razor-sharp pendulums kind of swish over his head. And it's lowliness, not pride, that saves him as it will save us. It is humility, it's lowliness in spirit that the Bible says obtains honor, no matter who it is in the long run. What does humility look like? Well, to the proud person, humility, of course, looks ridiculous. Humbleness doesn't seem praiseworthy, does it? It seems to get stuff done. Sorry, it doesn't seem to get stuff done, but by the same token, it's a wrecker of relationships. Proverbs 13.10, by insolence comes nothing but strife, but those who take advice is wisdom. Sometimes it's a challenge to work out how the two parts of these Proverbs work, but they're designed to work together. You have to read both the first part and the second part to understand what it's saying. So this verse, look, tells us for those who cannot take advice, that is the proud, their pride will show itself in strife, in other words, in the instability of their relationships. Someone once complimented uh, Clement Attlee, who was... Churchill's great rival to Churchill, saying that Attlee was a humble man, to which Churchill replied, a humble man, yes, with much to be humble about. Churchill was a difficult person to know. But that's the way that pride shows itself in relationships. It is acidic. It disintegrates and corrodes relationships. As someone has said, pride must be competitive since it cannot bear to concede first place to anyone else. So I wonder, does that describe you or me or our relationships 
with each other. Just think about the last time that you got into a difficult conversation with someone. When you went in, perhaps, absolutely sure of what you thought, of what the right point was. Perhaps it was a moral point, perhaps it was a political point, but you were sure of it, and you were sure that you knew everything there was to know about a subject. Or when you have gone into another conversation and you have received criticism there. And the temptation, of course, is to rush to defend yourself rather than to hear what's being said to you because someone else has spotted something that is true about you. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a friend, and you're not willing to hear it. Or do you have a talent for blame shifting? I was backing into our driveway uh, the other night and I did a poor job of it. I left tire tracks all across the lawn and my wife brought it to my attention. And I explained reasonably, I thought, uh, that I had done so because I'd been distracted in the rearview mirror by seeing her standing there in her beauty. <laughs> and so my driving was all wonky. You need to be right. You know the joke, before you married them, you were looking for Mr. or Mrs. Right. You just didn't realize that their first name was always, always right. <laughs> now, I want you to stop there for a moment. Whoever just came to your mind, put them out of your mind and think about you. What is the test of gospel humility? Well, thankfully, it's not being perfect or we're all of us in trouble. But I think at the heart of it, what these proverbs are getting at is teachability. Are we teachable people, particularly when it comes to something that's hard for us to hear, some sharp point to a place that's vulnerable? Proverbs 22:4. the reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and long life. The riches for humility may be, the reward for riches for humility may be riches, but they are sometimes a long time in coming. I think of people I know who have suffered for much of their life and they've been taught humility the hard way. But the cost is the wounding of pride. I was thinking of the current Prime Minister this week, if you were noticing the chaos that's going on in the UK. Imagine being Liz Truss having to walk towards the door of number 10 and then walk out to face the sea of cameras and have to admit to them that after 45 days in office you are stepping down because you have failed, because you haven't been able to do the job. Humility is being able to face those cameras and to admit to yourself the truth of the lesson that you're currently being taught. It's a brutal experience, but so often that is the gymnasium that God has placed us in because the grip of pride upon us is far deeper than we have imagined. And God is teaching you at that moment, son, daughter, learn this. All you have to recommend you is Jesus. The preacher John Newton wrote this in one of his letters from April 1772. Whoever is truly humbled, he said, will not be easily angry, nor harsh, nor critical of others. He will be compassionate and tender to the infirmities of his fellow sinners knowing that if there is a difference, it is grace alone which has made it. He knows that he has the seeds of every evil in his own heart. 
and all trials and afflictions he will look to the hand of the Lord and lay his mouth in the dust, acknowledging that he suffers much less than his iniquities have deserved. So I think this is crucial, is to see that we are ourselves resistant to humility. We don't want to be humbled, we run from it. But God tells us, either the easy way or the hard way, it is the only way upwards. And finally, we are faced in Jesus, aren't we, with a majesty we have misunderstood but badly need. So in Matthew 11, Jesus says this about who God is, and I think it's significant that he begins it with those two words which are characteristic, the signature of God, if you will, in the Bible. I am gentle and lowly in heart, he says. The description of God himself. In Philippians 2, Paul tells us this about what God has done for us in Christ. Paul says this, being found in human form, he, God, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the ignominy, the humiliation of death on a cross. You see, I think that's what we misunderstand about God. That's fundamentally what we misunderstand about his character, that at the core of his being and all that he is, the most high, the most powerful, the eternal, the judge of all the earth, the person who doesn't need anyone else or anything else, he is humble. It is an extraordinary paradox. That's why the cross itself is stunning. That's why in Romans 5 and other places, Paul asks, essentially, who is it that's on the cross? It's certainly not the person who deserves to be there, but astonishingly, it's the very last person who should be there. He, in his humility, has chosen to be there because he is humble. And why would he humble himself for our sakes? Because simply... This is the raw fact of it. Try as we might, we will never make ourselves humble. I was reflecting on that this week and all of the ways I think I've tried to combat pride in myself only to see it rear up again. Why would God die in your place? Well, it's because we will never be able to make ourselves safe from the consequence of sinful pride in us. I've always liked what George Whitfield wrote, that self-righteousness is the last idol taken out of the heart. And the verb there is important because it, it has to be taken out. It has to be taken out by a superior force because we will never willingly part with it. So God has humbled himself. That's the mechanism for him doing this in redeeming us and rescuing us. He has humiliated himself so that deadly human pride will not finally claim us, but his humility will. What should we do then? Well, it's like this. Jesus said this in one of his parables about the way that you should conduct yourself at a social occasion. He was speaking about a wedding occasion. He says, when you're invited, imagine the last fancy party you went to, perhaps the executive dining room that you were being asked to eat in or the owner's box at the NFL game 
or just perhaps a, a party among friends who are of a higher sort than you are and you didn't expect to be there and, well, that must say something good about you. Jesus says, go and sit in the lowest place. Wherever you are in your dealings with people, take the opportunity to go and sit in the lowest place. And knowing that we find ourselves everywhere encountering pride, what do we do with it? Well, pride is, is like whack-a-mole. This is not a classic theological analysis, but with pride, this is, this is what you find, isn't it? That pride rears its head everywhere. National pride. Think about when I first arrived in this country, how proud I was. How proud I was when I returned to the country I came from, looking down upon them. Educational pride. Cultural pride. Racial pride. Social class pride. And when one of these comes to your attention and you, you think that you've been working on it and you've become humble in this one area, then you find pride pops up in another area and then you deal with it there and then it pops up over here and if everything's quiet for a moment and none of the moles of pride are popping, how do you feel about that? Proud. It's a continual self-assessment, I think, to the last day that we will draw breath. And the only safe thing to do, as Lewis said, is to admit that you are, at the end of the day, a proud person. And the only way to be able to admit that you are a proud person to others, right, who are saying you are a proud person, is to let the humble God be your value. So that when some memory of your past failure accuses you, which is one of the triggers for pride, or when you compare yourself to others and you're being eaten up with envy, this is another trigger for pride, or when you're exposed to be truly what we say we are every week, you know, as Zach has led us this morning in saying the confession, what have we said, that we are sinners saved by God's grace, but in this situation, people around you are saying of you, what, a sinner here in our church? When those things happen, right, you need no longer be crushed by them. You don't need to hide from them or pretend to be someone you're not. Because the humble person in Jesus is able to say, this is all I am. The son of the humble God has achieved for you and me at the cross what you cannot. He is our valuation. Your value, you need to remind yourself, particularly at the times when you are tempted to pride, is to say, my value has been placed and paid for on the nail. And astonishingly, as we do this, falteringly, not perfectly, but one day you will hear words that right now will seem unbelievable to you if you see anything of your pride. And that is that you will hear words from God because of Jesus which say of you, I'm so proud of you, son. I'm so proud of you, daughter, because of Christ's love. It's paradoxical. It's not the way that we are in our fallen state wired. It seems topsy-turvy to the way the world is, and indeed it is. But because of that value at the cross, at the humiliation of God, you find your own value. And then I think you can admit when someone's in your face about something you've done, you say, yep, that's me. 
Please forgive me for my sinful pride as I forgive you. And I think it comes down to this, that on our best days and on our worst, we will always be an example of God's grace. So the pride of humanity and the humility of God. Let's pray. Father, this is one of the difficult things about opening the Bible. It is a mirror. And there we see ourselves as we are. We're not as far along, some of us, as we thought we were. The face that we see reflected in the mirror is not as virtuous or as humble as we had hoped or imagined it would be. It's not that there isn't some progress, but often it's in the places where we didn't expect it to be. And so, Father, tentatively but in faith, we ask you, Lord, that you would work on our pride. Because that's where our safety is, is in humility and in clinging to the cross. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you humbled yourself for our sake that we might find our value in you. In Jesus, we ask these things. Amen.